if we've heard correctly, uh, Jeremy, this is your last Sunday here before you head off. Hey, uh, we'll wish you the best, but you're going to do well, my young man. There's no question in my mind. Uh, I was asked to introduce Joe and Dasha. The best way to do that is say, I'm Dennis Reamers. I'm the father of Joe, now the father of Dasha. Um, you know, June 12th, 2021, we were in Ukraine for the wedding. What a, what a beautiful day. What a memorial day. Joe may be talking about it here in a little bit, but has anybody had a first year of marriage like Joe and Dasha had? <laughs> he was talking about that last night with some friends and going through everything that, that God prepared them for. They got counseling before the wedding, and actually uh, Brother Randy counseled them through that, and he was so appreciative of having the basis for doing it scripturally. But uh, I think his message, he's going to share an awful lot of what's happening in Ukraine. Most of you know Joe. Teresa and I moved, and the family moved up here in the early 90s. Uh, Joe started kindergarten in the school here, raised in this church. Um, and I'm so grateful for the teachers, for the Awana leaders, for the Sunday school teachers, for all the mentoring that so many had on our family. It pays dividends. Uh, Dave and Linda, you were showing pictures of Tara and a group of young ladies that you Bible studied. Um, never miss that opportunity. That sticks with them for life. So, Joe and Dasha, I turn it over to you. So thank you. It's, it's so good to be here with you. It's been a long time. Um, wasn't planning to say this, but when I was hearing Tara say so many nice things about my dad being out at camp, I wanted to tell a quick story, if it's okay. Um, this week, I was planning to be in Durango one day. I had some errands to run there, and Mom asked me if I could take something out to Dad at camp. And so I delivered a pair of hearing aids out to youth camp, and I was just thinking the whole drive, don't you hate when you go to youth camp and you forget your hearing aids? But... But anyway, we're so, like Dad said, we're so thankful for, for all the people of all ages who, um, who make children and youth a priority at this church. Um, and, and I think we see, not even through me, but just through, through some of the, the young men and women who have grown up from this church, um, that, that that investment is paying off. So, so I want to thank everyone who's been a part of that. Um, most of you... I think I've been following along with our story a little bit because because Dad's been good with the updates. But but if you don't know who we are, we're Joe and Dasha Reimers. Um, I grew up in this church. Dasha grew up in a city called Mariupol in Ukraine. I moved to Ukraine about five years ago, and um, we're now married. We are a team of missionaries there in Ukraine. Um, and you, you may know that, that I didn't go over there with the intention to work at a school or to become a teacher. Um, I primarily went to do orphan ministry, and, and we still do some of that together. We still partner with Daniel and Jana Ross, who some of you know, um, and the transition home that they sponsor there in Ukraine. Um, but, but while there, I, I found a school, um, and, and Dasha's going to tell you a little bit about our school there, New Generation in Kiev. Yeah, so it's a very unique school because uh, it's a Christian school, but about 40% of our kids are from non-believing families. And kids have a very unique opportunity to study in two languages. Half of the day they study in Ukrainian and half of the day in uh, English. So Joe is a middle school coordinator there and he teaches science, Bible, life skills, and a lot of other things. <laughs> <laughs> and I teach first and second grade Ukrainian program there. 
Um, and this school has a very important part in our lives. Um, if you could, yeah. So the, here's, here's me with my middle school class. As you can see, um, a couple of people aren't, are looking at the camera. Everyone else is kind of doing their own thing, including the teachers. Um, Ukrainian middle schoolers, they're just about the same as American. Um, the next, next slide will show, um, this is a couple of years ago, so it's grown, but our, our team of teachers, and you'll see me there kind of on the outside, and there in the middle, you might see a familiar face. That's my wife, Dasha. Um, I, I first started at that school teaching one day a week, and I found a lot of things I loved about the school, but um, especially one person standing there in the middle in purple. And so through that school, um, we started dating. We got a picture of... Um, couple days after we started dating here. There we are. Um, we got engaged. And then we got married. Um, but <laughs> it only felt like it. But um, what, that's not the only thing I love about the school. It's the most important thing, of course. But, but the big thing I love about the school is um, that, that I, we get so much day after day time with the kids. When we were doing things, you know, like camps for orphans and stuff like that, it's almost like you, you parachute into someone's life for a week, and then you kind of try to make, maintain contact while you're gone, but it's, you're just there for these little periods, and then you, you lose that influence. But at the school, we're with them day after day, at their best moments and at their worst moments. Um, and basically, the vision of the school, which, which we agree with wholeheartedly, is that um, if there's going to be change in the future of Ukraine, um, godly change, that's going to come from the next generation of Ukrainian believers. And that's, that's where the name of the school comes from, new generation. Um, and so we, um, we believe in that, and we still believe in that, even with everything that's gone on. Um, of course, that work that we love was interrupted by the recent events in Ukraine that I know you've seen on the news. And... For a while, it seemed like our school was scattered, but eventually they kind of had a base in Poland, and then they moved to a little town called Novopaka, not much bigger than Bayfield, Colorado, in the Czech Republic. And we eventually joined them there for a month. Um, here's, I believe, Dasha's first day back with her first and second graders there in Novopaka. They, there was an old factory building that they let the school use. Um, and our director posted this picture, and she said, all is right in first and second grade again because... Those kids had their Maria von Trapp, their wonderful teacher, back there with them. Um, and so, so we went and joined them there in Novopaka for about a month. But before that, we were kind of in Lviv, and we were waiting there for a few reasons. Yeah, so we, we were doing different things there. Joe, maybe we'll tell about it later. But we also were waiting there for my parents to evacuate from Mariupol. I don't know, maybe you know, it's on the east of Ukraine and it's where Russian first invaded. And so um, my parents are <laughs> now on the west of the country and they're safe and they found jobs in a week right after they came. Uh, and it was a great miracle that they were safe and alive. <laughs> and they wanted us to, thank you, uh, to say thank you to everyone for praying for them. And I know that a lot of you did, and I'm so very thankful. And I remember the day um, we were in Lviv, and my parents were still in Mariupol, and we were trying to do so many things, partly because we wanted to serve people and partly just because we wanted to be busy. <laughs> and I remember telling Joe, I just feel like I can't pray now because it's like this situation with my parents is always there, and I'm, of course, always thinking about it. But when I have to pray, I just have to bring it 
all again, and like think through all of it again, and I just can't do that. And I remember he said, Dasha, <laughs> there are people who are willing to help, and they, the only thing they can do now, they can pray. And this is a big thing, and it's a miracle, and you're a part of it. Thank you very much for me and for my family. Yeah, her parents have said since that they think that all of the prayers from all over the world, but especially from America, carried them out of Mariupol. And we, we are so thankful that, that you were with us, you were with them, and that you, you took on that role that, that we weren't ready to take on at that moment. Um, you can see there's one more picture here of this is basically the group from our school that was there in the Czech Republic. We think it was probably about 40% of the families from our school were there. Um, we, we get questions a lot. We ask questions a lot about our future there and the future of our school there. And the, the simplest answer is that we don't know exactly what's going to be there. Um, but I, I've got a few verses I want to share with you from, from Revelations chapter 3. And I chose these verses because um, in January, about a month and a half before this phase of the war started in Ukraine, we had a, a staff work day at school. And the director of our school asked me to share kind of a devotion with the group. Um, it had been a challenging year for us already to that point. We'd been online and offline with everything to do with COVID. We had people on our staff dealing with a lot of personal problems and personal issues. And kind of out there in the distance, there, was, there were all these rumors about Russia invading further than they already had. Um, and it just felt like this heavy time. And so I, I chose these verses to share, and I'll read them now. Oh boy, it's small on that screen back there. I may turn here. It says, this is uh, one of the letters to the church in Philadelphia. And it says, and to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, the words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world, to try those who dwell on the earth. I'm coming soon. Hold fast to what you have, so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it, and I will write on him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven, and my own new name. Yeah. You know, I, I shared those verses about a month and a half before our lives really changed there. And we thought we had problems when we had that meeting in January, and then we found out what problems really were. Um, not all of these verses apply directly to the situation that we had. God didn't keep us from that trial that came. That trial came directly to us, but he protected us through that trial. Um, and when we were in the Czech Republic, I had another chance to share with our staff and with our families who were there. And I went back to these verses because those doors that were open for us there in Kiev on January, in January, they're still open today. God hasn't been surprised by any of this. And we believe that, that in the fall, we're still praying about this, but we believe that in the fall, God is calling us to go back to Ukraine and walk through those doors. They're still wide open there. Dasha has kind of a personal story about, about one of the ways that, that we think we can do God's work when we go back to Kiev. So yeah, I already mentioned that we have about 40% of our families non-believers. 
And so um, one of this family, I want to talk about a little bit, they have two boys. Um, they finished seventh and fourth grade this year. And this family is atheist? Atheist. Atheist, yeah. thank you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and um, when the war started, they decided to stay in Kyiv under the constant shelling. And we were staying in touch with them. I was texting with the mom of that family. And mm, we were able to help them financially a couple of times. And then my brother, who also decided to stay in Kyiv, uh, was able to come and bring them some food. And um, I remember it was the time when my parents were still in Mariupol. And it was, it was really hard. And this woman texted me. And she said, Dasha, I'm praying for you and your family. And for me, she is the last person on the world, in the world, <laughs> who would pray. And I'm just amazed by God working even in circumstances like that in people's life. So. This church has been so faithful in supporting us and supporting mission efforts all over the world. So, so I don't want to spend the whole service begging you for that today because, because I know that this is a church full of people who, who respond when they're led by God to give. But, but we, we want to, um, to spend this time here just to tell you about what we're trying to do this summer and, and what we're trying to do for our work there in Ukraine. Um, Tyrell, if you could show this last picture here. Um, this, this is our school. I think it's kind of our last school picture day. It's, it's a little blurry there, but um, our last school picture day kind of before everything started. It was the end of last school year. Um, our, our school, it's a, it's a private Christian school, but, but we tried to make it accessible for families who normally wouldn't be able to afford that kind of thing. But still, there was a little bit of a tuition that families needed to pay so that we could pay rent for our building, so that we could pay the Ukrainian staff of the school. Um, as you can imagine, among all the things that have gone on in Ukraine, this, in Ukraine, this is a huge economic crisis. And basically, none of our families can afford to pay even that minimal tuition right now. So what we're trying to do is, is we're trying to raise financial support so that our school can keep doing its work. And that work may be somewhere else in Europe for a year, or it may be back in Kyiv in the fall. We don't know exactly. Either way, we'll plan to go back to Kyiv, God willing, and we'll either teach online or we'll do after-school programs for the, the kids who are still there. Or if our school comes back, we'll, we'll go back to school. So that's one thing. Is, and we'll have a table at the back at the end where if you're interested in finding out more about that, we, we'd love to talk to you about how you can support financially. The big thing is we know that this story about Ukraine is going to become a smaller and smaller thing in the news here. It's happening already, and that's, that's understandable. That's how life goes. But the crisis in Ukraine is going to go on for years and years and years. And so if you have the willingness and the ability and you feel led by God to join us by, by supporting like on a recurring basis, month after month, um, that we believe that there can really be fruit from those kinds of gifts. The second thing is a little more personal for us. Um, We've, well, I've lived for the last five years in Ukraine without a car. Um, there's public transportation there. We've been able to get around. But with the current situation there, we feel like we need to have the ability to get in a car and, and drive away if we need to. And so we're, we also just personally have that need to buy some kind of vehicle. And then um, I think gas prices are high here. They're about twice as high in Ukraine right now. So to, to put gas in that vehicle, we'll need a little help. But um, that's the financial side of it. We, we would appreciate you continuing to pray for us. I know Dad's been sending out updates. We're planning on, now that things have calmed down a little bit, sending out more regular email updates about what's going on there in specific ways that you can pray. We'll have a sign-up sheet um, at the back if you'd like to get on that email list and, and know how you can pray for us. But we're so appreciative of the ways you've already prayed. And the third thing um, is 
we are always, even before this situation, we're always looking to add to our team at the school there in Ukraine. You don't need teaching experience. You don't need to know Ukrainian or Russian. You just need to have a heart for God and a heart for kids. And so if you're looking for an adventure somewhere in Europe, maybe even in Ukraine, um, talk to us about that. Or if you know someone who we could get in contact with who might be interested in, in joining, um, we can use all the help we can get. So thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Isn't she great doing all that in her third language? So now's the part where I'm going to talk to you for a little while without my better half. But would you pray with me? God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for this time we can spend here together. God, we thank you for all the ways that we've seen you protect us, protect our family in Ukraine. God, we thank you for the work you're doing there through your church. God, I pray for our service today that your, your spirit would move, God. That, that you would have something to say for First Baptist Church in Bayfield here. God, and we pray for Ukraine, that you would give it peace, that you would give it a victory, that, that it could live and glorify you in the, the land that you gave it. We love you, God. In Christ's name, amen. Um, oh, by the way, I, I feel like I should explain our clothes. Um, these, these are called vishivankas. They're kind of traditional Ukrainian dress clothes. Um, like a, a very traditional vishivanka is going to be made out of linen and all the embroidery is going to be done by hand. Um, and I, from what I understand, even different regions in Ukraine have different styles of embroidery. I think um, the woman who sold me this vishivanka was trying to explain all that to me, but at that time I didn't know enough Ukrainian to understand where mine came from, but but I trust that it's from somewhere in Ukraine. But it's become a symbol in recent times of what makes Ukraine unique and independent. Um, you, won't, you won't exactly find these in Russia, but you will find them in Ukraine. We woke up on February 24th, um, around 5 in the morning, because we got a call from Dasha's brother. Um, and he said, in Russian, of course, but he said, it started. Um, and we knew exactly what he meant, because we, like you, had been following the news um, and we knew that this meant that, that Russia had attacked deeper into Ukraine. Um, of course, the war didn't actually start there. The war started in 2014 when Russia invaded the eastern part of Ukraine and annexed that part of the country. But, but you, um, Russia stepped up that war and it launched attacks on Kyiv, on a city called Odessa in the south of Ukraine, and basically everywhere in Ukraine where it could. Um, by that time, we, Dasha and I were already in Lviv, in the western part of the country, as she said, and we're, we're thankful to God that we had her 13-year-old sister with us, but her family was in Mariupol, which, as she said, is in the east of the country, right along, basically, the, the border between free Ukraine and the annexed territory. And so, um, almost right away, things, things got very bad for, for her parents, and we'll talk about that a little more later, but as you can imagine, something going on like that, it's, it's almost an understatement to say that, that Ukraine was in a major crisis. Um, and that was about four months ago that it started, a little more than four months ago. And, and during that time, um, we haven't seen the worst of the war. We were, we were safe away from all the ground fighting. There were a few missile strikes around where we were, but, but we didn't see the worst of it. But what we have seen is we have seen all of the extremes of humanity. We've seen people at their best and at their very worst. And sometimes it's, it's hard to hold all that in our heads. Hard to understand that it's the same species, human beings, who can commit all of these cruel and barbaric acts and all. also human beings who are making these sacrifices, laying down their lives to care for each other in Ukraine. Um, the first 
probably two or three weeks for us were just absolute chaos. Um, we, we spent that time basically doing whatever we could to, to help people who were fleeing from where they were. A lot of them were families from our school um, who were trying to find somewhere safe to be and in some cases find ways out of the country. Um, and we're thankful that God provided us with a few apartments there in Lviv that we were able to, to rent out and have people come and stay in while they found somewhere where they could go. Um, after some of that people movement slowed down a little bit, um, we were looking for something to do. Um, and we were looking for a way to help, and it wasn't really because we're great people or anything, but it's because those moments where we could just sit and think about what her parents were going through in Mariupol were awful. <laughs> they were the worst thing in the world. So anything we could do to keep our hands and our minds busy, we were looking for. Um, because sometimes we would go three or four days without hearing from her parents because the cell phone service was so bad there. And so we found, through her cousin, worked at a Baptist seminary there in Ukraine, and we started volunteering at that seminary because when the war started, um, that seminary filled its classrooms with mattresses, and they became a center for refugees and displaced people, and they provided rides to the border, and when those vans would come back, they would come back full of humanitarian supplies, which they would store and distribute to people who were going all over Ukraine. And so we volunteered there to help however we could. We made beds, we cleaned bathrooms, we served food, anything to keep from sitting and thinking about what might happen to her parents. An interesting thing um, is that, that that seminary had started a little church outside of that seminary about a year before the war started. Um, and they would do something interesting at the end of their church services, which I hadn't seen at a church service before, but they would all together, they would say a verse from the Bible. And that, that verse was one of the verses from the passage that Matt read earlier today. I want to read those verses because um, I think it's really interesting how God chose to put this verse on the heart of this congregation, knowing what was coming for them. Um, it says, When the Son of Man comes in all his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people, one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by the Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. And here's the verse they would read together. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty, or a stranger, or needing clothes, or sick, or in prison, and did not help you? He will reply, Truly I tell you, Whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Isn't that this beautiful picture where this, this seminary, this place where the word of God was taught as theory, as this academic pursuit, 
It became a place where the word of God was lived day after day, where people sacrificed to live these verses that they had been saying and studying. Um, when I read through these verses, I notice three big things about these verses. The first thing I notice is that God cares deeply about how we meet the material, physical, emotional, and spiritual needs of people around us in crisis. The second thing I see is that, that our response to those people in crisis it has major consequences. Right? We see that, that what we do about that decision when we see people in crisis, right, God separates us by that decision. He puts us into groups. And we, we saw there's some pretty scary stuff that happens in there based on how we respond to this. The third thing I see is that God is speaking not to individuals here. He's speaking to nations, right? If we can go back, Tyrell, quickly to the, the beginning verses there. This is about God not separating us as individuals, but God looking at big groups of people and the works we do together and separating us based on that, right? Sometimes it gets translated as people, but here it's translated as nations, which I think is a more faithful translation of the meaning here. Over the last four months, um, we've gotten the chance to see a couple of nations who have fallen on each side of this. We've seen a nation who looked and they saw the needs around them. They saw the crisis and they turned a blind eye toward it. They ignored it. We also saw a nation that saw the needs around them and they stepped up and they sacrificed and they gave until the very last to meet those needs. And I'm here to you, speaking to you today in a third nation. Um, and I feel like God is just wanting me to ask you today, where are you going to be? Where are you going to be in that equation? Um, so I want to take you through basically a couple examples of how we've seen this through the church in Russia and the church in Ukraine. Uh, one of the really kind of unique things about this war, I'm sure it's not the first time in history, I guess the Revolutionary War in America would be another example, but it's a war basically without a language gap. Um, almost every Ukrainian understands Russian and can speak it. Um, and one of kind of the, the, the side effects of that is that before this war started, um, there were basically pastors and leaders of churches in Russia, especially those who were active on social media or had big internet presences, who had big followings of people from Ukraine. Um, and so when, when this stage of the war started, a lot of their Ukrainian followers were asking them to step up and say something, to use their position as leaders in their churches um, to maybe influence some kind of change in Russia. Even um, when, when Dasha and I first started dating, as we were kind of both working on the other person's language, uh, we, we would watch sometimes together a church from Moscow because the, the pastor there was actually from Norway. And so he would preach in English and someone would translate him into Russian so we could each hear the sermon in our own language. Um, what was heartbreaking for us to see was that almost without exception, with maybe one or two exceptions, um, when that moment came and this war started in Ukraine, those leaders of those churches, those pastors with huge followings, they didn't use their voice to tell the truth about what was going on in Ukraine. Um, some of them stayed totally silent. Others would say things like, we're heartbroken by the situation and we're praying for peace. Um, we had, there was one, one, I think he's a famous youth pastor or something who he saw what was going on in a, it was a Ukrainian village called Bucha. If you follow the news closely, you may have seen what happened there. It was 
the, the Russian occupants there committed atrocities that, that I'm not going to say from the pulpit here, but the worst things you can imagine. Um, and he had people telling him, please say something about this. Use your influence to, to tell your congregation about what's really going on in Ukraine. Because these people, they, they, have, they were internationally networked. They, they had gone to conferences with pastors from Ukraine. They, they have the ability, and, and I believe they did, see beyond the propaganda that the Russian government was putting out there. But, but this pastor, in that moment, he said basically, well, it's hard to know exactly what's going on, but I'll say this, it's wrong to kill people. As we say in Ukraine, glory to the heroes. But in that moment, right, he had a chance, and these leaders had a chance to use their voice for good. And I'm not going to say that was an easy decision. It, it might have cost them something. Um, they had a chance to lead, and they chose to follow. They chose to sit back and not say anything. Um, when the time was there to speak, they chose silence. Goats. Um, you think you can probably hear in my voice um, that, that I have dealt with a lot of anger about this, and we have dealt with a lot of anger about this. And at times I have prayed the prayer that I feel like I'm probably supposed to pray as a Christian, that God would change their hearts. And um, sometimes I've even meant that prayer. But a lot of times, if I'm going to be honest with you, what I've prayed is that God would bring justice for what they've done. Um, and a lot of times in my head, I imagine that as like a lightning bolt striking their church or war coming to their country. Um, but then I had another thought um, that these churches, they're they're led by people who, who didn't have the courage to stand up for God's truth in a moment where it counted. And I think we know where leaders like that lead a church. <laughs> and it's nowhere you want to go. So that, that destruction that maybe somewhere in the back of my mind I was, I was hoping for, um, they're walking to it on their own unless something changes. Um, in Ukraine... Like we said, the first days of the war were chaos, but as things started to get a little more organized, we saw something interesting start to happen. Um, Ukrainian churches became the centers of their communities. Church buildings became bomb shelters. They became hospitals. They became delivery rooms. They became food distribution centers, and still they were functioning as places of worship. They were People would go to those places, and they would accept Jesus. They would sing praises to God, even as the missiles were flying around them. The churches themselves, the people, they became, because they were one of the, the big organized networks of people in Ukraine, they, they were organizing, delivering food and medical supplies to people who needed those. They were organizing evacuations for people who needed those. Um, those first days of the war, Dasha would call people and she'd say, hey, I heard about somebody, it's a group of 12 people who need somewhere to stay in your town for the night. It'd be someone she hadn't talked to for a few years. They'd say, yeah, send them to our house. And if you've got more, you can send them too. Um, these churches, because of what had happened, and I'm not going to pretend to know why God has allowed everything to happen in Ukraine that he's allowed to happen. But I can tell you this, one, one good thing that has come out of this is his church in Ukraine is in a different position than it was on February, February 23rd. People in Ukraine look at the church differently and they look at God differently because of what Ukrainian believers as an organized body did God's spirit moving through his people to meet the everyday right here in your face needs that people had. 
And they're going to remember that when they were in their moment of crisis, these churches, these believers were there for them. We have a couple of stories about this that are pretty personal to us. Tyrell, if you go to the next picture. Um, this, this is my Ukrainian family. Um, Dasha's, I guess he's younger than her, but the oldest brother isn't in this picture. But, but other than that, this is, this is the Ukrainian family. You can see, of course, the two of us there. Tall guy in the back with the mustache is her dad, Oleg. Um, you see her little sister, Sveta, she's 13. Her mom, Vika, and her brother, Bogdan, there. This picture was taken near Mariupol, where she grew up. Um, of course, like we said, when the war started, they were in Mariupol. And whenever we could talk to them, we were begging them to leave that place because if you follow the news, it was the worst place in the world to be for about a month there. Um, but they didn't leave. And it's not because they didn't have the ability to leave. They had a car. They had gas. Um, but they chose to stay. Because before the war started, Oleg had two jobs. One job, he worked security. But the other job is he worked for a mission that... Um, that helped a lot of different kinds of populations there in Mariupol. But one of the things they did is that they cared for elderly women, mostly widows, many of whom were bedridden. Um, and when the fighting started in Mariupol, um, Oleg was the one person from his mission who was there in Mariupol. And so he went day after day, sometimes in his car, sometimes on his bike, <laughs> as missiles were flying around him, as tanks were rolling down the street, he went to take these women what they needed to survive. And every time we talked to him and begged him to leave, he would tell us, the, the phrase he used for it is, I have a sphere of responsibility here. And he said he wasn't going to leave until all of those women could leave too. He didn't have room in his car for all 30 of them. And so he stayed <laughs> and our hearts broke and we prayed and we prayed and we prayed um, until a day came where they found a way out for everyone. His family got out. But you see, that moment right there, when it cost him something, when it would have been easy to say, I've done what I can for these women, I need to protect my family. He got out. And by the way, um, his wife, she agreed with this decision. She didn't make it hard for him to stay. Um, I want to show you a couple, a couple more images here. Um, this is Dasha's family uh, quite a few years ago. You can see that her, her brothers and sisters are a lot younger in this picture. But this is at a church that Oleg's brother, Dasha's uncle, was the pastor of. It was for a Christmas program, as you can see from the decorations there. Um, that, it's this small church in Mariupol um, that, that Dasha's uncle was faithfully the pastor of for years and years. Um, I want to show you a video of what that church looks like today. Это наш второй этаж после прямого попадания. There was a bed that people were sleeping on during after the war started. 
мраморный зал. Были еще не осел до конца. Да. А вот зал богослужений. Зал богослужений. Сейчас. Попнула гитара и пианино. Лежит на боку. Вырванное все. Микрофоны. Um, that, that church during the war was hit, I believe, three different times by rockets. Is that right? Two or three. Um, thankfully, everyone in the basement of that church was, was protected and saved. They would sometimes go to the top floor to, to take, take baths out of a bucket. And they had, a, I think, a 17 or an 18-year-old boy who was there. And he put the shampoo in his hair. And someone came running up and said, a tank is coming down the street. And so he ran down the stairs and into the basement with the shampoo still in his hair. Um, just moments before a rocket flew through the window. Um, you can look at those images, and the easy thing to see is a church that's been destroyed. But when you know the faith of the believers, when you know what they were doing in that moment of crisis, I think you can also see a church perfected. I look at those images knowing what went on there, and I see a sanctuary. I see a cathedral. What about you? What about your church here on a hill in the mountains? What about you, Bayfields? What about you, America? I know this church so well, and it's, it's changed in the few years since I've been here, but, but I grew up in this church. Um, I was raised by a lot of you as extra parents, extra aunts and uncles. I went away, and I came back to to serve in this church for a few years, and I grew up a little more during those years, I hope, I know that this church is full of people who have hearts for God and who have hearts for the crisis in the community around them. Um, but I'm not talking to you as individuals today. I'm talking to you as a church. And I've been away for a few years, so I'm not, I'm not going to pretend to know the answer to this question, but I just feel led to ask it. Um, because I don't think that kind of crisis is going to come to America anytime soon. I hope and I pray it doesn't. And for whatever reason, I, it seems like God has chosen to deal with America in a different way than he deals with most countries in the world. Dasha and I have talked about how basically every generation in Ukraine faces this moment where they're tested, where the sheep and the goats are sorted. Um, her, her dad grew up under the Soviet Union. He was, he was bullied for being a Christian. Um, her grandparents grew up under that. Her great-grandpa... Uh, was put in jail for eight years for having a Bible in his home. Every generation in Ukraine has this moment. Um, but I don't think that should fool you. Don't be fooled. Bayfield, Colorado is in a crisis too. Your country is in a crisis too. And you don't need to wait until it looks like that to start acting about that crisis. Um, all around you, right here where you are, there's addiction, there's hunger, there's poverty, there's homelessness, there's evil, there's depression, there's desperation, there's abuse. And under all that, the scariest thing of all, there are people all around you breathing the same air as you every day who don't know Jesus the way you know him. I think so often 
we can be defined, and this was true in Ukraine before the war, just the way it is in America. We can be defined by what we're against. Um, and there are things that the church is supposed to stand against. But one of the amazing things that happened in Ukraine when the war started was Ukrainian believers, they took a stand against evil, but they were also standing with and for the people in their communities. I just want to ask you, is your church a crisis center? You may not have the kind of crisis that comes and takes over your whole community the way a war does, but every day, people around you are in their moment of crisis, and it feels to them the way those people in that church felt. Do people in this community know that when they're hungry, when they're sick, when they're in need, that this is the place that they can come? I don't know the answer to that, but I think it's maybe the most important question that you can ask yourself as you make decisions as a church, as not, not as individuals, but as you build this thing together called a church. Do people know that they can turn to you in their moment of crisis? What if we stopped for a moment just defining ourselves by what we're against, and what if we found the places we can be for the people in our community where they can see, you know, First Baptist Bayfield, I don't know, they may, they may sing some weird songs, they may do some things that I don't believe in, but they're on my side. They love me and they care for me and they want what's best for me. Ukrainian believers saw that from the Ukrainian church. And I hope and I pray that American believers can see that from the American church and that they can see that from First Baptist Church of Bayfield. Um, I love this church so much. I thank you that I have the opportunity to share with you again um, it's been about five years, I think, since I've been here with you, and I have felt every day of that. Um, but I thank you for your support. I thank you for your prayers. Um, and I just hope and I pray that, that you'll take a moment to think about, are you there for your community, for this world around you when they're in their moment of crisis? Thanks. Thanks.